Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new episode of Stories from Space Podcast, where your host, Matthew Williams, examines the history of human spaceflight, the breakthroughs that revolutionized our understanding of the universe and our place in it, and the brave individuals who work tirelessly to advance the frontiers of our understanding. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. The authors acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the traditional unceded lands of the Lekwungen peoples. Welcome back to Stories from Space. I'm your host, Matt Williams, and today I have a very special guest joining me, noted space policy analyst and space advocate, Ravimbo Samanga. Hello, Ravimbo. Hi, Matthew. How are you? I'm pretty good. Now, looking over everything you've done just so far, the long, long list of credentials next to your name, you're a space policy analyst, a board member of the Space Arbitration Association, an ambassador, an advisory board member to Intra Astra, and you were the national point of contact for Zimbabwe for the Space Generation Advisory Council. So my first question would be, when do you sleep? When do I sleep? Um, I'll probably sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm very good at my time management. I do like to get my full seven to eight hours of sleep per day. Um, I usually just sleep on the weekends as well. So pretty much I, I don't do much else on the weekend. But I think it's just about managing, working quickly, working efficiently, uh, prioritizing tasks. I'm not saying I'm the expert at it, but I think over the course of the last few years or so, I've managed to just create a cadence for myself, which works. So I do take care of myself within reasonable means, I'd say. Okay. Well, that's a very good answer. Now, the very first time that I heard your name mentioned, it was through the Space Court Foundation. And they were talking about women in the STEMs and arts and design and young people who were becoming part of the new space generation. That was just a few years ago. Since that time, you're your resume has expanded considerably. So I'm curious to know, starting before you became the national point of contact for Zimbabwe for the uh, SGAC, what led you on this path? It's quite a fortuitous, serendipitous path, if I would say so. I don't think I quite had this plan for my life at any point. I knew I wanted a career novel and interesting and impactful but um, space really came to me in the most I'll say just lucky way it was during my university days I took part in a competition called uh, Mood Court and at the time we did very well in the competition we were the first African team to win um, in its 26 year history at that point um, that was in 2018 I believe And since then, I think it's just been one event or opportunity cascading into another. And I have really benefited from the support of my network and community who are continuously opening me up to new things. So in that way, I'd like to say it's a lot of intentional plans that I've made, but also a lot of just um, generosity and curiosity from my peers to see where exactly can we can we can we push her? Can we support her? Can we uh, help her achieve her dreams? And I'm very grateful for that. 
Well, that's lovely to hear. Now, the moot court that you mentioned, is that a Space Generation Advisory Council thing, or is that associated with the Space Court Foundation? Uh, the Space Court Foundation does have a role to play, I believe, in the regional rounds, but it is an initiative primarily of the International Institute for Space Law, and they organize the competition all around the world, um, mainly hinged on the main continental blocks of so North America, Europe, Asia, Pacific, and Africa. Yeah, so if it were possible for me to like condense your, your job title, because from looking at everything there, it's like, well, the words like advocate and advisor and analyst, all this come to mind. But would it be fair to say you're a space policy expert? I would stay clear of calling myself an expert. I think expert, genius, trailblazer, these are all external. The, it's all in the beholder. You're all the bees, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say that I'm I'm something of a multidisciplinary practitioner in that I struggle to put myself into one defined role. I like to exercise different interests in whether that's policy, business, education, and outreach. But the closest title I could give myself, which is true to my interests, would be, in fact, advocate. I think in all that I do, I'm advocating for this new an interesting uh, development. So as the national point of contact for Zimbabwe, what exactly did that look like? What was your typical day in, day out like? Mm. So the role is very much what you make of it. It's uh, the role of an outreach specialist. So you engage with your community in different ways. And of course, at the time that I was the national point of contact, not only was I coming from university, but also ushered into the unfortunate COVID-19 period. So I engaged in a lot of digital advocacy, which mainly involved sharing as much knowledge as I could online through webinars, uh, through speaking engagements, through activities as well. A number of opportunities were created for fellow Zimbabweans, for fellow youth in Africa to better understand the ecosystem and terrain. But of course, we also had weekly, monthly meetings amongst our internal teams to strategize, coordinate, support each other's initiatives and create new ones as well. So it's quite a flexible role. It's a fulfilling, it's a volunteer role, but it brought a lot of, uh, I think, personal development for me, especially. I would imagine. And did you get a chance to see the world? Or at least I can understand it'd be difficult with COVID, but I, I would imagine you met a lot of people from a lot of backgrounds. Indeed, I have. I'm very fortunate to have traveled quite extensively as a result of this career path. I think I've been to 20 countries or so now, and the majority of them have been for space conferences. A huge majority of them are Space Generation Advisory Council fixtures as well, and of course, the main space gathering of the year, I think, um, the International Astronautical Congress is a main fixture of mine on the calendar. So the career has definitely opened me up to a love of mine, which is to experience different cultures, see new things, learn from others. And we really get to cross collaborate in a way that I don't think we've seen in any other industry, at least not in my opinion. And it's it's great to have that as young people. And when you've when you've traveled abroad, I want to ask about your opinion on this. For the outside observer, it really looks like the non-traditional 
partners, right? African nations, South American nations, and various nations across Central East Asia, West Asia, they're participating like never before. It's like we are no longer dealing with NASA and the Russian or Soviet space program and in the European Space Agency too has arisen and so have India and China, but other countries, ones that go beyond this. Have you seen uh, a lot of that, would you say? I certainly have. I think it's important to frame development in the context of priority areas for different regions, so it won't look the same in each jurisdiction, but certainly there's a lot of traction and unprecedented traction and coordinated traction. I recently learned a phrase, I think that sums it up well, which is competitive cooperation. So it's the acknowledgement that, you know, every jurisdiction has to have its hallmark and maintain its sovereignty, but at the same time to do so, knowing that they fit into a greater system. And we really do see that in Africa, especially, which is looking at a more regionally coordinated approach, which will eventually fall under the umbrella of the African Space Agency. So allowing countries to retain their autonomy, but doing so within a wider ambitional goal. And then we also see international partnerships, even international industry partnerships, which just demonstrate um, a desire to want to fulfill what is stated in the Outer Space Treaty, that outer space should be for all humankind, and that requires some level of, of cooperation. That was very beautifully said, and I like that there too. We don't need, if I were to summarize the first part of what you are saying there, we don't need multiple space agencies all trying to do the same thing. We need multiple space agencies just contributing in like one or another area of expertise? Indeed, and uh, once we discuss the Milo partnership, I'd like to really touch on that point, especially which is space is no longer the realm of government ambition only. And there's an opportunity to have even a minimum viable contribution towards these missions that doesn't negate the level of development of any country and that allows them to be a part of something a lot bigger and more impactful than maybe is currently possible on their own. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, let's talk about that next. So you joined the Milo Space Institute this year, and it is based at Arizona State University? Indeed. Right. So from what I've read, it's got multiple modules or branches, and all of these are about increasing access. So can you tell us a little bit about, say, the Mission Academy, the Payload Accelerator, and the third branch was the Mission Project Office? Certainly. So quite briefly, I would say that the Missions Academy helps to support especially spacefaring nations and prepare them for access to space in three core nodes that would be in planetary stewardship, in commerce, and in space exploration. I'd like to think that the Milo Space Science Institute has good traction and capacity building. Uh, one evidence of this is the role that they had to play in uh, getting Ecuador to sign the Artemis Accords. And following from that, there will be a Climate Intelligence Missions Academy, which helps Ecuador sort of build their Earth observation opportunities towards uh, democratization of the industry. And then, of course, in my particular role, which I'm still carving out, I hope to help consolidate, especially 
the markets, the different developing markets in Africa, there is a huge need to demonstrate our multiple capabilities, not only in being the market for different services and products, but also the producers and manufacturers of different components and products and services, etc. So to that end, uh, the Payload Accelerator, the Missions Academy, and the Training and Capacity Building Networks all serve to provide an opportunity, especially to developing countries and emerging nations, to contribute to wider, broader space missions and to access space, uh, in summary. Okay. Now, the other roles that you've taken on in the last two years. So until recently, you were an analyst for Access Partnership, and you're currently a board member of the Space Arbitration Association. Now, if I were to guess, based solely on just the names, one of these deals with Again, increasing access to space, while the other is dealing with legal frameworks. Is that a fair assessment? I would say it's on the right track. Access Partnership is a consulting company that is helping introduce fair tech to different markets. So while we do deal with the legal aspects of market access, our work is much broader in regulatory market access, in government advisory, as well as um, advocacy campaigns. We also do economic reporting and analysis and a lot of research as well involved in the tech public policy field. And then with the Space Arbitration Association, I would best describe it as a capacity building research and development initiative, which is looking to break ground in a new and developing field, which is alternative dispute resolution and sort of creating dialogue amongst different stakeholders on how we can apply already existing rules to a new uh, and perhaps technical field in space. Okay. Yeah, capacity building. I've, I've noted that term there a few times. It sounds really quite good. Can you explain what that means to me like I'm eight years old? Well, I love, I love this question, but it's gonna be a hard one. Capacity building. I would say that it is the ability to bring new information to a different community or to a new community that allows them to not only tap into their potential, but make best use of a new opportunity. So providing the skills and resources, or rather the training and resources to be able to engage in a new and exciting field to the best of their abilities and in a way that makes everyone feel uh, whole, everyone feel connected, everyone feel empowered. Mm. Very nice. And in terms of space law, I I'd always uh, like to ask this question because if there's one thing that I've, the, the one impression I've got by talking to other groups, uh, particularly the Space Court Foundation, is there is a lot of legal issues that we need to anticipate right now, or that we are, that we're currently looking at, and we need to create law, we need to create rules and regulations there, because our presence is going to expand in space pretty quickly, and we're going to be dealing with all kinds of challenges, so we better have some idea how we're going to do that. And did that uh, did that come up a lot for you throughout your your career here? 
It certainly has. And I think what's come up most uh, two core issues is that as much as we may have a governance framework developing, to what extent can we enforce it firstly? And secondly, how do we keep that governance framework up to date with the changing needs? Bearing in mind that when some of these frameworks were created, uh, new business models that we see emerging and new use cases might not have been envisioned. So how do we read these new opportunities into existing and some may say outdated space principles? I don't think they're outdated. I think they simply need a creative interpretation and they certainly need very creative space lawyers to conduct what's known as anticipatory diplomacy, which is, can we foresee what might happen and how can we begin to read that into existing frameworks and then also have supporting frameworks, which will give, um, which will give, I think, procedure and structure to how disputes will be regulated in future. Yeah, there are a lot of very interesting scenarios too, aren't there? You really get into it. Well, I'd ask for an example, but I feel like we could be here all day talking about what kinds of scenarios there, there would be. And what I really want to ask next is this began back earlier this year in February, I believe, and you became an advisory board member at the Charles F. Bolden Group. And this is named after former NASA administrator, Charles F. Bolden Jr. Indeed it is. Yes. And so can you tell us a little bit about what this organization does? And because I'm really quite interested. And now that you're now that you're a board member, what will you be what have you been doing with them? So essentially, the Charles F. Bolden Group is focused on building capacity for the business of space recognizing that commercialization is very important to continued innovation. And um, we recognize also that the international community needs to be sensitized on the best ways of enabling, especially new and emerging technologies such as space, AI, quantum computing into business models. From February, I've been supporting with the development of the Inter-Astra Retreat, which is an exclusive three-day symposium strictly on the business of space, and it is organized every year, inviting different thought leaders from industries to come and discuss uh, the most seminal topics of our time with regards to how can we bring out the best potential, not only of entrepreneurs, but of scientists and of all backgrounds towards a coordinated approach in space. And of course, being from Africa, I am really passionate about having our voice heard too, and as well, the youth, um, women as well, and making sure that we have, I think, a, a representation of thought leaders that is cognizant of the representation that we need in outer space and having our gathering replicate that same demographic as well. Hmm, yeah. Another thing that comes up often when discussing our growing presence in space, greater accessibility to space, and more nations participating in space is the issue of national security. Is that an aspect of space law and analysis that you see going forward, that there's going to be, well, there certainly are right now, there's national security issues, but do you think this is going to get worse in terms of sovereignty or, well, piracy, for example, 
there has been speculation about that and it makes some people laugh to hear that but it is something we do need to think about isn't it i think so i think recognizing that country or government ambitions in space do often have a national security element in terms of securing not only borders but people and resources so to that end the dual use purpose of different space and satellite systems is always a contentious topic we've also had uh, discussions or against asat testing in outer space or counter space capabilities which are posing not only a national security risk but a debris risk as well an environmental risk to outer space and also just noting that outer space in itself is critical infrastructure for many countries developing countries especially so being able to guard that precious resource is a fundamental need in ensuring peace and security even here on earth so to that end space lawyers do have the difficult task of managing geopolitical interests and incorporating these defense sentiments as well into our research and work in terms of what's next for you you have experienced a really really meteoric rise in growth in the past few years right now you are considered a major representative when it comes to advancement in space education and the idea of sustainable development so naturally i wanted to ask what do you see as some of the biggest challenges moving forward if we're talking about human beings in orbit or human beings on the moon and human beings going to mars right these are sort of the three main areas of expected growth in the future what do you think the the biggest challenges are going to be in these i think our biggest challenge and as always is avoiding an inevitable space race avoiding competition as opposed to cooperation in space and i think an offshoot of that would be getting the requisite political will to legitimize these actions so a number of space endeavors i think fail because of a lack of support of community a lack of community goodwill and inclusion and once we have this competitive winner takes all mentality in outer space it severely undermines the motivations of other space players and also the beneficiaries of these space activities so i think in the coming years the challenge we'll have is restraining that kind of competitive or so i think the greatest challenge we'd have then is curbing competitive practices and being able to prepare the ground for a uniform way of conducting space activities from the international level and have that absorbed into national laws that encompass the needs of all the different stakeholders not just private sector which seems to be the current focus at least for the next few years absolutely and so i i would love to get your your thoughts on this too the artemis accords one thing i i felt about it was it seemed like this was a way of really asserting that what we do on the moon is going to be about the outer space treaty it's not going to come down to mining and exploitation which seemed to be the focus of the previous administration there when it came to the moon so do you feel like it was written in order to remind everyone this is about cooperation and shared responsibility on the moon or indeed so i think uh, many 
non-binding principles or soft law have come about as a response to not the failing multilateral system, but I think the delayed multilateral processes, recognizing that the industry is growing at a pace that requires swift intervention, especially in terms of the law. These non-binding principles and the Artemis Accords at least provide us that intermediary or inter interim support so that there's continuation of operations, there's some form of harmonization, and there's some form of coming together. Now, to what extent that can and will be achieved if there's a fragmented approach of, you know, different um, country allies and different initiatives, I'm not quite sure. We, we simply just have to let it play out and trust that when we do come together for a common cause, not only is it a clarion call to other industries or affiliated markets, but it will it will help us champion the broader cause over time because we'll develop some form of, of custom, some form of uniformity, and that itself can then be turned into a binding obligation that we can rely on. So would you say that there is potential looking to the future that cooperation in space can help foster cooperation here on Earth. I certainly believe so. I think we already see some form of mixing of the two elements in the strategies, the space or science diplomacy strategies that are employed in different regions, especially in emerging nations as well which is um, the tying of investment in space to investment in some form of critical infrastructure or development. So for instance, uh, satellite systems for assets monitoring as an example. So to that end, we do definitely see the existing geopolitical relations sort of play out in uh, space relations. That is to say, you're more likely to find a country that is already engaged with an ally, fostering further space development or cooperation. But then in the converse, you'll find that you're more likely to find a country with perhaps tense relations, not necessarily using space as the mitigating ground, if that makes sense. So it, it really does go to existing geopolitical tensions um, we see that most commonly, I think, on the ISS, where countries like the United States and China, for reasons of Earth relations, have not been able to cooperate as fully as I think they should be able to or would want to in this case. Well, I'm hopeful too. So looking to the future, there are clearly a lot of concerns about we could be headed into another Cold War scenario, space race scenario, or Wild West scenario. So these reflect the idea of competition between nations and also unfettered commercial exploitation. So would you say that there is hope for the future, that we can we can do this and do it in a way that's that learns from the past rather than repeats it? Certainly. I think the hope of the industry is in its regenerative capacity and its ability to learn not only from the lessons, but also the successes and being able to regenerate itself from generation to generation. So the Apollo generation had its hallmark moment and the Artemis generation likewise. And right now, currently, we're on the precipice of a real commercial boom across different regions, a real international and coordinated reach into the commercial industry. 
not only for lower Earth orbit, but perhaps for cis Luna and beyond as well. And this is an exciting time where for the first time in history, we have a full coming together of almost all the stakeholders, all the tiers of government, private sector, and non-governmental entities working together towards a common goal. So to that end, it's exciting to see what will come of it, but it is also the, I think the quiet before the storm, because we we don't, we won't always know what the storm will bring. But I'm I'm almost sure that it will bring positive, I think, insight on how to continue moving forward in a way that is beneficial to the end user, which is us, the communities at the end of the day. And I hope we'll be very good stewards of it because it's a very big mantle to hold, I think. I think that's a very good message, right? We cannot be complacent, but we shouldn't be afraid either, right? We can we can do this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. That I feel is is a perfect message to leave listeners with. And and I think that's a very good summation of the kind of work that you do there. It's it's all about acknowledging the importance of of getting it right and doing so with a positive outlook, because otherwise. What, do, what could we be in for if we walk into the future with the cynical attitude? Oh, well, I wish you the best of luck. And are there any hints as to what what's coming up for you? Any uh, major symposia or speaking engagements? Well, I certainly look forward to being at the International Astronautical Congress. I look forward to networking, but also sharing some ideas along with colleagues from the space law community on how non-binding principles can form a part of our regulatory frameworks and space governance. And we'll have a very lively debate with colleagues on the pros and cons of these non-binding or soft law provisions as it pertains to the growing commercial industry, especially. So please do check us out. And I hope to also share a lot of opportunities for engagement um, with the different organizations I'm affiliated with. And as always, feel free to connect with me online. And thank you very much, Matthew, for this very enlightening and engaging chat. Thank you for having me and let's chat soon. Yes, I, again, I, I feel like I should be saying that to you. Oh yeah, one other question. Do you foresee writing a book in the near future? Or if you already have, I, I, I can't believe I missed that. I, I would never tell if so, but perhaps someday. I think um, I do prefer to put my thoughts down on paper mm -hmm. as opposed to, to word uh, or spoken word rather. So let's see what comes up of that. But I do have mm -hmm. some pending publications coming soon mm -hmm. on the research front. So happy to share those in due time. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to see them. Well, thank you so much and have a wonderful day and best of luck on all your endeavors. Thank and you, Matthew. Thank you. And to my listeners, thank you for tuning in again. I would also like to encourage you to go to RavimboSamanga.com to learn more about her work as a space law and policy analyst, strategist, and educator and outreach coordinator. I'd also encourage you to check out the Space Generation Advisory Council and the Space Court Foundation to learn more about their fine work, their advocacy, their outreach, and how they are preparing today's youth to become the next generation of space explorers, space policy analysts, and space legal experts. And be sure to tune in in the coming weeks where we will be exploring the life and times of famed scientist Freeman Dyson and Konstantin Tsiolkovsky, 
other proposed resolutions to the Fermi Paradox, as well as episodes addressing how humanity could live in the asteroid belt and beyond the frost line, creating settlements on the icy moons and bodies of the outer solar system. Thank you for listening. I'm Matt Williams, and this has been Stories from Space. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Stories from Space podcast with Matthew Williams. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.